Polyhedron is a production of Headcanon Games, LLC. Please bookmark Headcanon Games for the latest in Polyhedron news. Polyhedron is sponsored by listeners like yourself. If you'd like to become a patron of Polyhedron, please go to patreon.com polyhedron. Now, on with your show. Hello and welcome to Polyhedron, your multifaceted podcast for everything RPG related. I have my two co-hosts here, Ryan. I wasn't done, Matt. What did she say, Scott? And Scott. She said many things. Many things that you will never understand until you are you are an old man and filled with regret. And then there's nothing to do about it. But the void. But the void. <laughs> <laughs> and as an extra special bonus uh, for this episode... Live in the studio is our good friend of the show, Christopher Tang. America's sweetheart. <laughs> that he is. <laughs> and a rakish hat. Well, welcome, Chris. Thanks, How are guys. you doing? I'm doing great. How are you guys doing? Oh, doing man. well. Having a good old time. Uh, what have you guys been up to? What's what, Gaming-wise, what's up to this week? Uh, well, uh, we're, we, I think we've finally hit the, the end of LARP season. Yep, uh, almost. There's just one. About. There's one left. Uh, Simulacra in December has our our year zero finale, um, and thank God for it. Um, mm-hmm. uh, in other gaming news, the Changeling: The Lost Kickstarter has started a couple weeks as of the recording of this podcast. Uh, I put money on it because it's. I think it's my favorite uh, Chronicles of Darkness game. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just. It's a delightful game. Terribly sad. My, and I'm my looking initial, forward to what they do for it. My initial, uh, uh, my ca- my character enforcer to a seraphim is based off my first changeling. Huh. Uh, changeling, the lost character. But yeah, he was based off that. Yeah, that system, just a shur- a churgeon. Like yeah. The, it was it was pretty grody what happened. Honestly, the game really fell off after we got out of the hedge. But it was a really fun time in the hedge, though. Oh yeah, the hedge is wild, I'm, wild and wacky. I uh, I have my thoughts about Changeling the Lost, but that's like a whole episode. Uh, I I definitely respect people who like it, but I uh, it's not my favorite. Right, is it, is it you a dreaming guy? I'm a dreaming guy. Yeah, dreaming it, guy. yeah. I had a feeling you were a little you were a little more old school on that one. I mean, to be perfectly fair, on Chronicles, I I like a fair number of them. I'd mm-hmm. even go so far as to say that. Certain ones I feel are superior to their counterpart, even if I deeply enjoy mm-hmm. the counterpart. So I'm not like completely partisan to the old school, right? Um, but with Changeling Lost, exactly what you said about things got less interesting when you left the hedge. That has universally been my experience yeah. uh, with it, which is the hedge is a very interesting place. It's very unique, uh, but as soon as you get out of the hedge, you're playing vampire. Yeah, yeah, because you're stuck in the world well, of darkness. You're also you're... just draining people of some other thing instead of right. blood. It's their right. emotions. Mm-hmm. I, I never had that experience. I, 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 I the, the Changeling games I've been involved when um, had much more of a community focus uh, and and less of a less of that. But teach his own. That is a right. storyteller by storyteller thing. And also, you were you LARPing? Like, were I was you LARPing. Okay. Uh, yeah. That's probably the difference. Like, uh, And I'm not going to say it's a bad game. I think it's actually a very good game. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's probably the difference is because all of my Changeling Lost experience is tabletop. Huh. Yeah, Some fairly long tabletop campaigns, but it's all tabletop. Um, I like the Dreaming a lot. I, th- I definitely like its setting. is very interesting. It's very rich. Uh, what has always been my barrier to enjoying that game is that the way the powers work always has rubbed me wrong. I mean, the powers are deeply idiosyncratic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I was, I've just, I'm just so desperate for tabletop gaming at this point. You could be like, like, yeah, we're doing, it's a Wraith game. I'm like, okay, sure, whatever. I don't care. I don't care. I don't care. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, I still, right. I probably should try to get my hands on Wraith at some right. point just well, to have it in my collection. Is in development. Good. I will we're definitely play, back Guys, down. we're playing Promethean. It's like, sure. I, actually, Promethean's yeah. cool, but that's such a weird game to I, I, be a part I of. I hope to someday play that game. But, uh, yeah. but to go back to what you were talking about news, mm-hmm. uh, at the time that this podcast comes out, it's going to be a little bit after, although we're recording it before, mm-hmm. but there's a new game coming out. It was announced over the summer, and they had some previews at this past Gen Con, and that game is Genesis, and that's spelled with an S-Y-S at the end. Mm-hmm. This is a new game from Fantasy Flight. Ooh. Oh, and. I do like those guys. Now, I know you guys have talked on this show about Warhammer Fantasy and Star Wars Fantasy Fly with the Funky Dice. Yep. Well, this is Funky Dice, the generic system, including rules for how to build your own in the Funky Dice world. And it is going to be the launching point for Fantasy Flight to come out with future games with their Funky Dice and to build settings off of a base system. They've already announced their first setting. Uh, which I don't believe is going to be out at the time of this. I think there's going to be some micro generic settings, like yeah, maybe a Wuja right. in the Ooh. in the book. But there is <laughs> uh, like a five page Wuja setting in the main book. I I might be wrong on that, so don't quote me on that. I know there's going to be micro settings. Well, maybe like the chops. But their first full book is going to be Android. And if you're not familiar with uh, Fantasy Flight board games, they have a universe called the Android Universe, which is their cyberpunk world. And they've expanded on it in various board games, in various art books. But this is going to be the first time that they're going to be doing a role-playing game in the Android universe. And it's going to be off of their Genesis system. Which is interesting because I'm so used to Fantasy Flight having licenses. They have they have other people's settings and creative IPs, but they don't have something that is basically their own. But they create their own systems, but not the setting I'd itself. Be, I'm, I'd be super interested to see how they handle the, the general... You know, D and D esque fantasy setting. I'll, I'd be very interested to see how they make that make that jive with sword and sorcery. Yep, I, I totally agree. I, I'm just gonna say, unless it's in the main book, like a five pager in the main book, I don't think that's on the schedule yet. Hmm. Because my understanding is that they're going to do it for settings. Uh, of course, Fantasy Flight has a wide range of board games and card games that they produce. They have a number of settings that they've licensed. Uh, my understanding is that they're looking more at those settings before they expand out. Well, expanding uh, on their own oh, IP, right? Yeah. Like, well, or their own IP, but but not like. And here's generic fantasy or generic sci-fi. They're right. gonna like this is our world cool. of this. Got also, it. they they're they're mining their own that they've already done a good deal work on. They don't have to bring something from from the ether right. out and right. just that's, think it's that's new. very interesting. I like me some good cyberpunk, and I mean, other than Shadowrun. None of the cyberpunky systems that I've interacted with have done it for me, but maybe that one will. Right. And uh, to answer your other question, uh, because I'm not a regular here, uh, what kind of gaming am I involved in? Uh, you mentioned the end of LARP season a few mm-hmm. weeks ago. Uh, yep. I am um, myself and my wife, Anne, we founded the LARP after the end. Mm-hmm. And uh, w- along with some really fantastic folks, our, our directors, who would not be possible without them, uh, have been running the game for a few years, but we had our most recent session. It went really well. It was a very horror-themed haunted house 
It was uh, kind of very, very cerebral. I really enjoyed it. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, like that 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 was a ten out of ten game for me. Uh, fantastic. Well, that was that was absolutely I mean, well, your character's wheelhouse. I, yeah, I was kind of a superhero for the whole game, right. but it was fantastic. Um, yeah. Uh, oh, and another another bit of gaming news uh, that I just thought of. Um, they announced it at PAX. Um, they're going to be doing a Betrayal Legacy, uh, which is Betrayal in the House of the Hill, uh, but it, the Legacy version, whereas, wherein you play the game multiple times in a continuing storyline, and the game changes based off what happens in previous yeah, games. Yeah, I, I recently got to look and see our friends play Pandemic Legacy and how that's set up. That is really fascinating. Because it, it is an RPG, essentially, mm-hmm. because it's a board game you play once, you just play it over many many sessions right the legacy style board games are really fantastic i've had a chance to get a crack at seafall legacy uh risk legacy mm-hmm. really fantastic stuff i've got an unsealed copy of um uh pandemic legacy season one uh which i want to break out and start playing because that well, sounds fun but betrayal legacy sounds just amazing no that's know this was very a thing. Cool. do you know oh legacy board games i didn't know it was so, a thing so at here's all. how it works um uh, you know normally you break out a board game and you play the game, and then you put all the bits back, and then the next time you pull it out, it's, it's the reset, either yeah. the same, or if it's a game like Betrayal, where there's a randomizer of the plot, like Betrayal has like 50 different plots, and it might be one of those, but other than that, you've essentially reset it. So in a legacy board game, every time you play, uh, the game changes. The landscape changes. The house, certain parts of it get set. Certain things, you literally tear up some cards and destroy things. Gone forever. You put, car- you put stickers on certain tiles or per certain part of the board. Like you rub, like you take a coin and rub off parts of cards that reveal, oh, wow. to reveal what's in there. New so an, ex- an example is in Pandemic Legacy, um, besides you have a character and everyone's got char- basically character sheets that have a little abilities on. You can get positive quirks and like negative quirks on your character permanently by putting these stickers on. Or the map, you only have know so much is going on in the map. You will have to reveal stickers and accurately place them on the map when you reveal those regions. And I wouldn't doubt that some copies of the game are slightly different than other copies of the game. So even if you play Pandemic Legacy, your your version, if you go to someone else's, they may have a different uh, version of it, and therefore well, you're also, playing a slightly it, different. It's going to be different based off what has happened in the game. Like that's and, you, like, and, right? And with it, the idea being that you can only play this box of the game a certain number of times, um, just because it will it will change the story will run itself the, out. The story will run itself out, and I think for betrayal, I think that's a fantastic direction to go in. Uh, because you, from what I from what I read, you play members of a family. You play multiple generations of a family a who have it. this haunted house in their in their. That's cool. That they have mm. to contend with over generations. I am so looking forward. to So that. you're basically making your own horror so movie. What's the price tag on this sort of thing? Usually over a hundred dollars. Makes sense. I figured as much. But you're gonna get probably at least forty hours of content out of it. There's roughly. There's comparable amounts of bits and bobs for every other $100 board game. Yeah. Like, you are not getting less stuff than any other $100 board game, but you are getting a limited lifespan on your game. But the 
Flip side is you get a sense of consequence. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and you, yeah, and uniqueness to your experience. Right. My frugality doesn't allow for it, but I do understand why that's very well, cool. Well, that's, that's right. the sort of thing that, that it was very feasible for a group of people to go in that, on. That, that, yeah, that's exactly say, like, what it we is. We are going to play this. This is going to be our thing for the next couple four of people, months. Four people dropping 25 schmackos mm-hmm. on, on yep. the Trail Legacy. I can completely mm-hmm. do that, and that's just, you know. I want Oregon Trail Legacy. <laughs> But yeah, you, you so want the diet of dysentery? Cars. Yeah, dude, totally. Uh, so to sort of move away from the news, but sort of also make sure we introduce Chris here. If it seems like he has a lot of gaming knowledge, that's not that's not by he, chance. He probably has more than you. Oh yeah, Chris, why don't you explain to the audience what exactly your job currently is? <laughs> sure thing. Uh, my day job is I work for One Bookshelf, which is the parent company of Drive Through RPG. As well as several other websites like Drive Through Fiction, Drive Through Comics, uh, War Game Vault, uh, and I work espe- and Drive Through Cards. I primarily work with Drive Through RPG. I do a little bit with Drive Through Cards. Um, my title is Publisher Services Representative, so I don't work with customers very much. I actually work with publishers. I work with uh, people making games, advising them how to make their games better, how to sell their games better, talking to them about what the industry looks like, what else is coming out. Um, Now, if you are sitting there saying, oh, I've published one or two things on DriveThruRPG, maybe I threw up my custom homemade D&D module or something, congratulations, you're my client. Hmm. I am specifically the indie game guy at DriveThru. I have... All of the hundreds and hundreds of small publishers. Um, we might be over a thousand small wow. publishers. I, I wouldn't doubt it. Uh, yeah, yeah. At this point, um, I've got a few of the big kids who you'd probably recognize: uh, John Wick Presents, Ulysses Spiele, uh, are are two of my clients. Um, awesome. But everybody small. That's who I take care of. Uh, in addition, to that part of the Ulysses and the. Uh, John Wick Presents. I'm also the administrator of the Associated uh, Community Content Programs. So the Explorer Society for 7C, the Community Content uh, for Ulysses Spiele, the Scriptorium Adventurous for the the Dark Eye. Mm. I'm also for uh, Cortex and uh, for Contagion, uh, if you're familiar with those Community Content Programs. So. Oh, very cool. That's fantastic. And, and that's that's one of the primary reasons we brought Chris on today is because he has a very, very keen and very well-educated eye as far as what is currently going on in the world of role-playing games. Um, and I, I know he's got a few notes for us. He's also <laughs> he's also he, an avid fan of the show he, itself. He, and he has apparently listened to every single episode and keeps up with us, which is... He has notes. He literally makes notes from when he goes through an episode. So basically, we're being brought to the principal's office. Su- super fans of the show, like myself, will recognize me from a previous episode. I want to say it's 32, the one about antagonists, where Matt mentioned me by name as... Yeah doing a nightmare host from forest of doors oh, and yeah. ryan mentioned me without thorn mentioning of- my name from star wars yes I, uh, tabletop yes thorn of lies Wait, thorn, uh, thorn of lies thorn of lies and also star wars is like don't you guys want to kill the slavers i you know i was a i was an eminently good dude i did my best it, it was a it was a <laughs> and that's why the slavers had. got the poop we gave him we gave him a poop 
Just a lot of poop. We the, flooded this re- the re- man hunting resort with poop. Sorry for those of you who are fans of the show or hoped that would never come up again. No, it's I, they love the poop. <laughs> <laughs> okay, like the poop, but not the name I gave them. Fine, fine, whatever. I don't know, I don't know how to please you people. I don't know what they like. I don't know who they are. I know Chris. Uh, and <laughs> if you all would like to tell us what we like, we're always at polyhedronpodcast at gmail.com or at polyhedroncast on Twitter. Tweet so us. Bring that Tweet feedback well. to us. We need it. But anyways, Chris, now that we're going to sort of give you a very rough like outline of why you're here, let's get to know a little bit more about Chris himself. Tell us where you got started in role-playing. Okay, well, uh, like many people, I got started in high school. Ah, uh, the old lunch. Yeah, uh, so I started trying to sit with some people uh, who I thought were cool. And I wanted to be cool. <laughs> Who doesn't? And they were playing Shadowrun. Uh, Fuck yeah. That makes them cool. Yeah. They were totally cool, but they did not think I was cool. And so (laughs) I I later became friends with those guys. You know, everybody grows up a little Mm -hmm. bit. But uh, they shuffled me off to a gentleman named Will, who uh, became one of my best friends. We're still great friends. Uh, And he taught me how to play uh, Advanced Dungeons & Dragons 2nd Edition. That's how you start, boy. That's, That's where I started. Definitely my generation. I've never touched it. I don't necessarily Ooh. advise it. Um, <laughs> no, I, I, fair. I is the nicest way to say that. It, is, it, is, I, it belongs in the vault, in the place of... of it, it's good for reference material, of I, knowing your history. I would happily play it, but I don't necessarily advise playing it if you never have. Yeah. Um, so I then... Basically, I've been a gamer ever since then. You cannot look at a single month of my life in which I did not play since that time in which I did not play either a tabletop game or a LARP at least once that month. You know, I think, yeah, you know, I think if you want to talk about, like, across my entire life, I think that's kind of where I land also. It's it's just all the way across every yep. month at least. Yeah, pretty much One, never stop. Never right. stop. Never mm-hmm. stop right. stopping. Uh, in high school, it was primary AD&D 2nd, uh, West End Star Wars. Oh, mm-hmm. man, them pips. Uh, Vampire, first edition. Hmm. With the spiral book, oh boy! And Ooh. we eventually upgraded to second when it came out. And the emerald book, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I'm I'm blue yellow colorblind, so I. Uh, what the uh, the hardback one? I've been. The, oh the yeah, spiral. Hard, we eventually upgraded to the hardback when it came yeah. out. Right. Uh, and Cyberpunk 2020. How oh is okay? You're one of the few people I know that's ever played that game. How I've is played that game? so much of it? I love that yeah. game. In in high school, among my gamer friends, I was the cyberpunk guy. Okay, oh. that was your thing. That was your jam. That was the one where, like, okay, what are we going to get Chris for Christmas? Did cyberpunk come out with any new books? Cool. Uh, are you excited for the new video game? Um, I am less of a video gamer. Okay. Um, so I will say I am optimistic, but I don't get excited the way a video gamer would. Mm-hmm. Um, I, 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 it seems interesting. But I don't make a lot of time for video games in my life. Um, I can't remember what his name was, but one of the guys, one of the old school 70s gaming guys with Flying Buffalo once said, if I can't try to fast talk a dragon out of his horde, then I don't want to play that game. (laughs) Fair enough. The Hobbit approach. Well, I have a game for you. It's called Dragon Age. No, it's not not there yet. You can't fast talk the dragon. Squarely in the face. You can't. You can't fast talk the dragon. Well, you can fast talk one dragon. Anyway, right. I'm not getting down on video games. There's a lot of really fantastic video games out there, and I do play them, but. Uh, not as much as you guys. <laughs> right. Yeah. I, but I, you know, barely. you were asking just earlier, what games are you playing right now? 
Uh, so here's the list. Okay. Uh, I'm running Pathfinder on the Kingmaker arc. Okay, mm. yeah. So that's the new module that came out, that's, right? Well, it's a few years old now. Okay. But we're still playing it because uh, I'm old and I got a kid. And so a lot of my friends are also parents and have busy schedules or they have to schedule around LARPs. So... Like, it's like, okay, let's look at the next three months and figure out a free weekend kind of thing. Uh, but Kingmaker is a, is a game in which you're building up a kingdom. Hmm. Uh, literally, first first book, explore the area. Second book, okay, you've founded a kingdom. Now time to set down laws and attract villagers and clear out a few more monsters, but actually, like, rule a kingdom. Uh, I'm also running a uh, Pathfinder game that is Scarred Lands, hmm. Uh, hmm. which we can go in the history of that, but it's a, it's a setting. Uh, currently being punished by Onyx Path. Yep. Uh, and I'm running their uh, Sparagos module series with that group. Uh, I'm running Exalted 3rd Edition. I am running uh, Cortex Demon Hunters. And I am... Uh, am I playing in anything right I was about now? to ask, are you are you playing anything? Because uh, you're doing God's work all over the place. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If you're running, if, yeah, if you're, unless you're that. Are you a high you, priest? Oh, oh, I'm playing one. I'm, I just started playing Monster Hearts with some friends. Oh, cool. Oh, cool. Yeah, cool. Monster Hearts is really cool. It's a really cool little game. Yeah. Because it's all about teen drama and being, you know, a super. Yeah, and creature. it's fantastic. We're really leaning into it. It's How fantastic. is Exalted Third Ed? Because I don't know many people that are actively. How does it execute? Complicated. Um, yeah. But, um, Here's the thing about Exalted Third Ed. If you can try to like look past the cloud of charms mm-hmm. uh, down to a couple of core things. And mm-hmm. one core thing is that the social mechanic is better than the previous editions of Exalted. And for my money, better than 80% of role-playing games out there. If not, maybe one of the best. But once you get into the higher tiers, it's kind of like, what's your flavor? Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. Um, so the social mechanic where it's about you care about things. Mm-hmm. It's about figuring out what people care about and then leveraging that against them. Mm-hmm. Or making them care about something new. Oh, yeah. yeah. The, 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 core, um, the core system, yeah. when I read through oh. it, was fantastic. Also, most of the time, you can ignore charms and just use excellencies. Because you get those for free now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because those are just built into how, what and, you do. And at the end of the day, like... One of the things that we, I kind of experienced was, yeah, at that level, it's like, well, you could have a really, like, very specific charm, or you can roll an ungodly number of successes and just say what you do. Yeah, <laughs> right. And, and most of the time, people just either leverage social with lots of excellency, or they just use excellency to roll tons of dice, and that's just how it is most of the time. Hmm. Unless, yeah, unless you need some and, weird, very specific and, stuff. And honestly, the way I run it, um, just because the players in that group are nobody's a rules lawyer except for me. Um, <laughs> <And you're- laughs> uh, so I just have been playing Exalted since first edition. I'm actually one of the credited playtesters in Exalted first edition. Wow. Uh, I've been playing and collecting those books and reading them so long. That I had just have a general sense of what all the charms are for all the different casts and types and whatnot. I'm like, oh yeah, okay, well this is a fire cast and whatnot. And there's a candle burning so she can run up the smoke and you know. So I could just kind of I just narrate things like that. Yeah. Um, and there we are. Cool. No, yeah, very cool. Um, and so obviously you start out in, with uh, cyberpunk and D and D second edition and all that. Um, what would you say currently uh, is one of your favorite games to play and or run? You know, I'm uh, my favorite game is the one I don't get to play. 
Uh, it's always that grass is greener on the other side mm-hmm. right now. Um, but I can, I can tell you, uh, I have a lot of games that are uh, irons in the fire, if you will, where I'm actually making long-term plans hmm. to play or run in more games. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, for instance, I'm actually doing uh, research into uh, Chinese history right now with the idea that when the seventh, I backed the seventh C Katai Kickstarter, mm-hmm. so that when that comes out, I can have me some pirate wuja. Oh boy, pirate wuja! Mm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All you have to say is wuja, and he he perks up. Yeah, um, my, my chops. Pirate wuja, like some people might be Taoist sorcerers who follow the path of, I dreamt I was a butterfly, and am I now dreaming a butterfly, dreaming that I'm a man? Or a man dreamt who dreamt I was a butterfly, and one of those powers is you can turn into a butterfly. All right, but also have some wind. But also wind powers and flying and like just <laughs> like like full out wuja, but in the seventh sea world. See, that, that's actually since we were talking about exalted, that's why I love Dragon Blood so much because they to me they hit uh, uh, the elemental themes were so much more interesting in my mind than some of the more higher concept things. Uh, you know I had talked like about that. And lunars. if I had ever wanted to like really like play in, uh, the next exalted game I play which will probably never happen until I, I all die um would be a dragon blooded game because I, I just feel like they it, it does it's low end enough where the system doesn't fall apart and it you know it just has the certain grittier was- themes. I really want to see what the third edition lunar books looks like because the information that they they seeded in the core book about the lunars and what they've been up to and how they've kind of reimagined them for third edition sounds fascinating. So, um, you know, I'm personally have always been a fan since they came out of the alchemical exalted. Oh yeah. And uh, as much as I, I have a feeling we may never see that or it's going to be a very long time. But what I'm actually most interested in because it's new. Uh, is in third edition exalted in the main book. There is the new type, the exigent exalted. Yes. Yeah. The unique. Cool. Oh, the exigent. Are those are the unique ones? Are the, they are. Yeah. They are unique. They are not sponsored by any celestial being. They are the embodiment of an idea, hope, truth, beauty, love. Yeah, because a god has to set. What it generally works with, as far as my, when I'm read through all the preview stuff, an exigent is where they they are an exalt. But a god has sacrificed, generally sacrificed themselves because they're not powerful to sustain multiple. Right. Uh, and so they've sacrificed themselves in order for heaven to give permission to go, you can exalt this person under my purview. And you basically, the god has given them all this power. There's a certain amount of that, but there's a certain amount of because of who you were, you exemplified. Hmm. Oh, interesting. An idea. And so now that's who you are. That's really cool. There's a short story in the main book about the. A girl from a farm who uh, the farm the 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 harvest deity of her land. Uh, it was about the entire town was about to be taken over by uh, fair folk, and so he uh, the god sacrificed himself to exalt mm-hmm. uh, the the woman with with like the emerald scythe so that she could fight off all the fair folk because right. the god couldn't. Right, and this is basically exalted doing nobilis. <laughs> yeah, ah, uh, nobilis, such a pretty incomprehensible beautiful book actually another one of my irons in the fire right now i may be uh running some novellas in the future oh i forgot i'm also playing through day zero of torg oh yeah Uh, tell us how that is too because torg is is interesting i love torg so much since uh since um mr watson told us about torg and all that Mm -hmm. sort of piqued my interest a little bit i like do you want to know what it's like to play it or sure okay um so torg 
is uh, it's very much like sort of a like a Gonzo action movie mm-hmm. uh, where almost anything can happen. And uh, you know something you've talked about on this podcast before is the idea of you're going to win, but how do you win? Mm-hmm. And the flavors of that. And Torg, uh, the original edition of Torg was, uh, and forgive me if I'm wrong on this, but I want to say it was created by uh, Bill Slavsek, who was the original creator of the Star Wars uh, West End game. Mm-hmm. So this is this guy who was like very forward thinking and whatnot. But so when you play Torg, uh, let's say you're out of an action scene. You've got a handful of cards in front of you on top of your character sheet. And these cards are various dramatic moments that you could play down the card and have it happen. So, for instance, and get a bonus or something like that, but it might be give a soliloquy. It could be unexpected romantic encounter. Hmm. It could be I've got a friend, you know, you didn't count on. Uh, And also similar cards like that come up when you're in the action scene to dictate. In addition to that, every time you're in a combat round... The GM flips over a card from a special deck. Whatever happens on that card is the way that r- combat round is going. So it determines do enemies or players go first. And it also determines what's going on. So it might say something like, let's get them. Or they're rushing. Or stand strong. And then there Interesting. are... You can do whatever you want in that turn. But there are certain combat actions that get bonuses... There are certain ones that get penalties. Oh, okay. That's cool. So it, it kind of it it it's a way of managing the the flow and the, the and the feel right. of, of right. What's it's, there's on. a tactical you, you element are, to there, it as well. There's a tactical element to the drama, and you can still be free to do whatever you want. Hmm. But the gamified optimizer tells you to be dramatic in this way. It also lays a uh, a rhythm. To the mm. combat that is not a, I hit him, he hits you. He hit him, hits right. you. The, right. the slapstick back and forth. Right. And also, I don't know if you've ever, I, I know you guys have played a certain amount of Exalted, but by the, like, if you're in a really tough one, it's like you're at your, like, fifth time trying to hit him, like, I, I, I don't know, man, like, a, a butterfly appears and he high fives uh, me before I hit him. Me. Like we have, we like, know that oh, yeah. pain. Yeah, that, 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 that creativity burnout when you're trying to come up with the stunts for, yeah. like, however many, and it has to be unique, not to you, just to you, but to, like, everybody else at the table. Like, so... Stunts were both one of the most brilliant additions to like a gaming system because it was trying to incentivize you to be a part of the part of what was going on but it also was extremely exhausting at a certain point i right. will say that there was a point in your game matt where i stopped stunting i'm just like matt i just hit him 18 times no it's okay you guys had so many dice it, stunting was only a minor i don't bonus. care about I'm, dice I'm anymore i'm looking forward to seeing how because stunts are a part of the new story path system which mm-hmm. is going to be for scion and for the trinity universe and uh, based on the the previews that we've had from them, stunting comes stunts come at the end. Like if you do well enough, then you unlock stunts, which like give you like kind of narrative and like future bonuses. That makes a little bit more. That makes it look a little bit more manageable as far as because I know so many times like Jeffrey and a few other people would stunt and then they wouldn't roll well and their stunt sort of narratively start falling apart. Third, third edition Exalted is also like that. Like you, you describe extra effects when you have bonus successes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and so I'm interested about the cards. The what I want to bring up about that is I'm noticing that, and similar to how the legacy uh, games uh, are becoming very popular, that RPGs are starting to take board game ideas, flipping cards, having a more tactile sort of interface to help bring about more randomness, as in the case of Torg, as well as just bring more flavor to what you're doing. Well, you know, I mean, there's uh, that's the roots of the RPG hobby, mm. right? Um, so the uh, the father of of the hobby industry is H is uh, is H G Wells, hmm. um, with a with a with a book called Little Wars. Really, never heard about this. Yeah, education information. Yeah, okay. So, um, way back in the dawn of history, um, in the in the 19th century, when steampunks roamed the earth, <laughs> there was a Prussian general who was dissatisfied with chess. He felt chess was an inappropriate way to teach modern warfare. Hmm. And so he started playing around with games and maps and ways of teaching not just warfare, but also the enemy terrain, because map making, of course, was a lot better in 1860 than it was in, you know, the 700s or whenever chess was invented and you didn't know what the next field over the next hill looked like. Mm -hmm. um, and eventually it turned into, I can't, I can't remember the exact name, but it was a pamphlet of war rules. And if you looked at these, they look not unlike, you know, old school board games like Risk with little wooden blocks moving around a map of Europe. Hmm. Uh, now, in the early 1900s, there was a... The, now, eventually there became enthusiast societies throughout Europe of... Mostly former military, but people who were interested in military history and military tactics. And one of those people was a famous science fiction writer, H.G. Wells, who wrote a book called Little Wars. And it was all about taking tin soldiers and other uh, toys, literally toys of the day and age, and recreating battles. H.G. Wells, by the way, was a rules lawyer <laughs> who, who said that like had little pop gun cannons and insisted that you can't that you must use the pop gun cannons instead of the dice because if the cannon didn't hit them if the cannonball didn't hit them from the pop gun then they were not hit <laughs> awesome. he, was, he was definitely a simulationist so, he was um <laughs> hard so this little wars gets published there gets variants it gets being passed around it's a little unclear how many people were actually playing this game or if it was just in the library of various uh military enthusiasts and historians uh, but we do know that in the 1920s and 30s in new york that there was a club that basically started a con Hmm. Uh, and rented out ballrooms in, I believe, the Waldorf Astoria Hotel and would set up, like, an actual, like, giant tubs of water and reenact naval battles with toys. Like, everybody would go into their children's room and grab their toys, <laughs> like their boats and their tin soldiers. <laughs> Sorry, little Johnny. <laughs> and I'm, I'm just trying to imagine this, and I want to see this in a movie now. And, and that's I the just do. And that's the beginning of the what we now call the hobby industry. So this is the origin of war games, of board games, of model trains, model boats, model cars, everything that you refer to as hobby. Neat. Yeah, that's um, where, we, and obviously D D came right. from D from a war game, from a from, tabletop from, war from, game. Yeah, so war games were very popular. They became uh, less popular after World War II. Mm. Um, but then as some of those people started getting older and they started looking back, those they started having a resurgence in the 1960s. 
Well, people became, had also money, yeah, money the, for those types of uh, right, terms at, types of things. Right, but at the same time, there was a rise in popularity. The 1960s was the first printing of the works of J.R.R. Tolkien in America. Prior to that, they had to be imported. Mm-hmm. So that's when Tolkien fever started gripping America, and people were walking around college campuses with Frodo lives buttons. Really. Yeah. Have you not seen the Leonard Nimoy music video? I have Lobo. seen that. He I was trying to capitalize on a trend. Bravest little hobbit in the Shire. I that we all admire. Yeah. Uh, there's a yeah, reason that was the... that was not Nimoy being weird. That was that was a... him trying to connect to the youth culture. That's awesome. Yeah. There, there, there's a reason that hippies like caught on to Tolkien because of all of the very sort of sort of earth first mentalities that uh, that I'm, Tolkien I'm, put I'm into say, his books. I'm gonna say something here. Tom Bombadil. Bombadil. Yeah, yeah, just, yeah. yeah. Just, yeah. Justice for Tom Bombadil. Yeah, got <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag, just well, for Bombadil. Well, you know, I believe they, uh, you know, when talking about news, they recently announced that there's going to be a live-action Lord of the Rings television show I from know. Amazon. So if they're going yeah. to stretch that out as long as possible, I think we're going to get a full season of The oh, Adventures wow. of Tom Bombadil. Oh, also, I, I know, it, that's quite possible because supposedly uh, a movie studio has the rights to certain characters. Mm-hmm. Amazon, uh, Amazon, Amazon only has rights to some of the other characters. Interesting. Oh, so, so the stories may start getting very skewed based on who's got the rights to what. Well, I thought, I mean, okay, cards on the table, guys. I've never read a single damn word of anything Tolkien's ever written. But I know for a fact that the word Cimmerillion got thrown around. That's oh, all. Yeah. That's what I know. Uh, if you, yeah. the sim- the, the, I mean, that's really the only place to go if they don't have access to the War of the Ring. Yeah, which, has, well... You know, I'm sure maybe in like 50 years there might be another adaptation of the of the War of the Ring of the of the you know. The no, War. every 20 years, every 20 years, something like that. Um, I actually have a dream that uh, the next time we we see the War of the Rings, um, it won't just be just a bunch of white people. It will be. Uh, oh, there were brown case. people. They were just the bad guys. Yeah, yeah, that's not yeah. what I'm talking about. Orcs. They were gray. Justice for orcs. Yeah, no, I, I, you know, there's nothing that not the black people riding elephants, Ryan. I know. There's there's <laughs> nothing that, that like I said, I, I would love to see a, a diverse a racially diverse casting of the Lord of the Rings Forgot adaptation the at some point. You know, I think that would be awesome. You know, well as cool as that would be, I would like to see an adaptation of Earthsea, the Wizard of Earthsea. <laughs> yes, please. Where where in the book the character is canonically brown, but in no adaptation has he ever been brown. I remember reading that first book in middle school and that was amazing. That that started touching me like that's how magic like I know it's not real and all that, but that's how magic is done. Like the way you do magic in Earthsea was very interesting. Is it very sympathetic style magic? Yeah, but if I remember correctly, yes. Uh, imagine a, a combination so of sympathetic magic with a certain amount of how Europeans believed witchcraft worked in the year 1100. So mm. Satan. Mm-hmm. So a little bit of alchemy, little bit yeah, of alchemy. a little alchemy. There was but, a lot of a lot of basic principles, but like a lot the, the way sympathetic magic works in alchemy. I right, guess is right. probably the best way to put yeah. it. Yeah, um, and just also there was always a trading a trading cost for magic itself, and that it was oh you're a wizard, you have almost probably a doomed existence, and you have to uh, well, be separate. Yeah. You need to be separate from everyone else because you will do things that you don't mean to. 
um, I mean, because of the nature of it. The, the last thing I read that was sort of in along those lines was uh, Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell. That's a good book. Oh, it's so good. Good book, good series. I, I mean, you want to talk about the direct inspiration of Changeling the Lost. Yeah. Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell. The, yep. the, the, oh, that terrible, terrible fairy creature. He was he was a bad guy. He was really awful. Yeah, he was a bad dude. Um, also, uh, was it uh, Mister Norrell was just a shit. Like I hated that character <laughs> so also, much. I don't when, think you're supposed to like him. No, of course not. Also, it, it kind of rocked me a little bit when I when I realized he's in the World's End. Like the the actor is one of the guys in the World's End. <laughs> and I was like, oh my god, because I like. I saw The World's End a million years ago, watched that, and then I watched the movies with Mikey, The World's End, and I just, like, because I've watched, I had watched a lot more English television, Mm -hmm. those actors' faces all, like, clicked with who they were, Mm -hmm. and I was like, oh my god, Mr. Norrell, no. So, Chris, we've talked a lot about, you've you've said what you like the most and what you're doing. Um, So, uh, as a super fan of Polyhedron, Mm. I I hear you have a list for us that you would like take us to task i wouldn't call it that you've called it that i'm not calling that maybe well, i'll we, call we it that's a, what it is official that's, we have that's a persecution complex here so we're we're here to take our punishment principle let's 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 hear what all right it is. so uh maybe maybe call it 10 things that polyhedron wishes they had known before now and are their next paycheck uh, get, get, um, if you hear thumping that's me hitting my forehead against the desk get your get your pen out there you go all right number 10 because I grew up with Dave Letterman. <laughs> sure. We love Cracked. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Listicles. Listicles. Polyhedron has emphasized representation and wanting to hear more games from different voices. And a game you've never mentioned is Edrigor. Edrigor is published by Council of Fools Productions. Mm-hmm. It is a role-playing game about pre-contact Native American experience. Written by Native Americans. Hot damn. Uh, that is amazing. Uh, I'll make sure all of these that you mentioned, I will probably find and I'll put a link through DriveThruRPG. You can get them through DriveThruRPG. Every, every game I'm mentioning, you can get on DriveThruRPG. I will happily put a link in the show notes so everyone can go find them. See, this is plugging that is also educational and good for you. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Edragor, uh, whereas you know Western-oriented role-playing games emphasize combat, they ex- emphasize personal excellence. Edregor, the character creation, the way you look at the world, emphasizes your relationship to the community. What do you contribute to the community? Oh, which is perfect group dynamic building. Right. That sounds amazing. That's neat. All right. Number nine is a genre, spies. You guys have talked about spy stories and doing spying stuff, but you've never mentioned a spy role-playing game. Mm-hmm. There's not that many that I knew of. I've played Spycraft. Like Spycraft twice. is what's on my list. Spycraft is probably the most popular right now. It's actually a D20 variant. It mm-hmm. actually came out of the D20 boom. So there are classes like Assassin or Techie. It was sort of derivative around the time that they produced uh, uh, D- the Urban. It was, D- D20 it was modern. No, modern. Not no. Modern. Spycraft oh. came before D20 uh, did, Modern. Okay, cool. Pre- predates it. It was one of the very first D20 games that was not in a fantasy setting. Cool. Yeah, that, I remember seeing the book Spycraft, actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, many moons ago. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. yeah. Spycraft, I especially love. I have stolen one of their mechanics for many of the games that I've run. Uh, they actually have what's called a chase mechanic for modeling uh, car chases. Hmm. And instead of sort of gritty, gritting out the whole city and who's on which road, there's this concept of how much lead do you have. Yeah. And... 
that was uh, like once you get to a certain amount more lead than your other guy, you you lost them. Mm-hmm. And it's a really fantastic way and a really high action simplified way of doing car chases. And then they actually applied that mechanic to a lot of their other things, like social contests are about how much lead you have. Nope, that's cool. cool. That sounds awesome. That's a good idea. Mm-hmm. Also, just general, I mean, general pursuit in any tabletop game is a pain in the ass. So it any is. Any way to abstract it out. Yeah, is... if you're not like doing a hard like map and figurines in front of you and doing specific numbers. But even if you are, though, yeah, it's like, I would rather do what he's talking about, even in Dungeons and Dragons, because it's like, well, okay. But Kobold has a scroll. And, the, he's, and he's running. And he's faster than you. Or that guy's a monk, so you lose. Then you're like, going yeah, yeah, to no. like Shadowrun Anarchy because they have the close, far, uh, very far sort yeah. of mechanic. I mean, I got my taste of that when, when I played Fantasy Flight Star Wars. And I very much like the zone, three zone system. Because yeah. I think it just, it just makes things easier and makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. But anyway, what else? Number eight, another genre, Western. And you guys have mentioned weird westerns, like but not raw westerns, but westerns. not any pure westerns where nothing supernatural is happening. And uh, there's a lot of games out there, but the one I'm going to plug is Aces and Eights. Mm-hmm. And Aces and Eights is a game put up by Kenzerco, which is the same company that does the Knights of the Dinner Table. Huh. Uh, and I'll I'll just tell you right now. Um, this is going to be one that Matt and I like, and maybe not you guys, because it is so granular and gritty. <laughs> okay. And yeah. how it does gunfights. Like, there's a spinning wheel chart on where you get shot. Oh, uh, yeah. Oh, no. And, like, <laughs> silhouette of a cowboy versus a cowboy crouching down on the ground and oh, that's location. Super, that's super. Even I, I can always I love stomach. it so much. I can't help myself. That, I. I want to. I want my ears they, are bleeding the, hearing the, about the, this. One of my the you reason why I, I like the aesthetics <laughs> of Western, but the reason I really love Deadlands caught my caught my eye so many moons ago was because the character creation was pulling cards. Yeah. It was you pull out a deck of cards, shuffle, pull the cards. That's your character. Cool. I, I do love some Deadlands, but yeah. pure Western, pure Western aces and eights. Yeah. All right, number seven is a company which. Includes various parts that you've just never touched. Okay. And that company is Flying Buffalo. Hmm. It's another one of my clients. Flying Buffalo is actually the oldest extant role-playing game company. Still run by the same people. Hmm. Uh, got to meet uh, Rick Loomis at Gen Con. I, uh, he was, he's the uh, owner of Flying Buffalo. And I said, oh, he said, oh, how's your con? I said, oh, it's great. This is actually my first Gen Con. He said, oh, it's my 40th. I'm like, it's not a contest, Rick. (laughs) Dude, being in the LARP community for like 15 minutes, man. Like, yeah, I've been doing this for eight years now. I've been doing it for 25. It's like, I didn't. Yeah, I've been doing it for 20. Um, Not, it's not a contest. Almost 20. Almost 20. Yeah. Well, we've been in the system, this system for the same amount of time. So, meh. Yeah, yeah. Uh, There are kids uh, that were. Uh, not even teenagers, and now right. they are getting into college now. Right. We've been in the system for same system for so long. Yeah. Um, but Flying Buffalo, they published Tunnels and Trolls, the original game of man, this D and D stuff is too complicated. Let's simplify this and make it faster and more action oriented. Like that fucking D and D. That fucking D and D. Which and part of why I mentioned them is Flying Buffalo. Tunnels and Trolls is a great you know mm-hmm. beat 'em up action fantasy game. But one of the things, a couple of things Flying Buffalo does uh, are things that you guys have never touched on in terms of role-playing games. So, for instance, Flying Buffalo, 
is the originator of the play-by-mail game. Huh. Where you have this massive, in their, in their version, a massive science fiction universe. And you, once a week, mail in your moves. Of oh, how cool. your ships and whatnot. And you might communicate with the other literally 50 people playing the game. So literally, you just literally write a letter, send it in the mail to one guy who's collecting all of it together. And he sort of... Right. Now, nowadays, it's done by sort of email and computer moves. And even from an early day, they had a computer processing yeah. mm-hmm. all the moves. But you could communicate with a large number of people uh, and basically role play with them. So That's interesting. Cool. That's awesome. Um, and... Something for a future uh, thing. Uh, Flying Buffalo has licensed to a video game company called Meta Arcade. Now, Meta Arcade has a phone app you can download. And on that phone app, for free, although you can pay for more, there are classic Tunnels and Trolls modules. Oh, hmm. So you can literally... Because one of the things Flying Buffalo wound up, because of the nature of just how the role-playing industry developed, they wound up with solo modules where you were expected to play through this by yourself to learn the system to play with your friends. Oh, Or neat. just to, there's no other gamers in your small hometown. Just buy modules that are meant for you to just fantasy roleplay. You know, They're a little bit choose-your-own-adventure, basically, with I dice. really think that's a good thing. I think that that's super neat, because I remember one of my, my first roleplaying thing I ever did was a little, like a Scholastic game Star Wars Darth Vader box that had basically that in it, and that was like... Some, like, I rolled that D6, and then something changed. Cause I, oh, no. And by the way, I literally just remembered that. So, like, hmm. I know that dis, you know invalidates my, here's how I got started. That's apparently how I got started, guys. <laughs> I just remembered. Nice. One synapse well, fired in the back of your brain. Well, if you would like to download a free app and play through some of those adventures for free, or maybe buy some of the other modules for $1 or $2, like buying a book for $1 or $2, you can do that. And I've been playing it on my phone. And i got to say, it's got a lot of replay value because there's a lot of weird turns and whatnot you can mm, take in these. Interesting. That I, yeah. Uh, so, Flying Buffalo, number seven. On to number six. So, now we're going to start getting a little personal. Ooh, all right. Oh, bring shit. It. So, you know, Scott, you mentioned how revolutionary. Many times you mentioned how revolutionary the Trinity book was for having this front that's the color and all mm-hmm. the setting and whatnot and the back half is non-colored and it's the system mm-hmm. what if i told you they weren't the first ones to do that i wouldn't be surprised i just thought it was cool it is cool and i love trinity i'm actually the credited editor of the trinity player's guide really wow yep. uh been in this gaming thing a while uh, i'm actually like very low on the totem pole though i don't have a lot of credits but there's one of my favorite games which is castle falkenstein <laughs> the, the game that introduced me to the concept of steampunk. It was steampunk before steampunk was brown. Oh, wow. Oh, okay, yeah. It was quite. It is quite brown, isn't it? It is quite brown now. Mm-hmm. But you see, steampunk, Castle Falkenstein is published by Artel Sorian. So my love of cyberpunk eventually led me like, to look at other things by that company. Right. Steampunk is colorful. It is beautiful. When you read the first half of the steampunk of Castle Falkenstein, it is a novel. Written by a painter. Hmm. So the basic idea is there was our our protagonist is in Neuschwanstein, the fairy tale castle of Bavaria, when he gets sucked into a magic portal. Like you do. Into a world of 19th century magic and steam tech. Mm-hmm. 
where he meets the two people who have kidnapped him, uh, which includes Lord Oberon, Lord of the Fey. Of course, well, as he does. This, that this, old chestnut. That mm. old chestnut. That that tale as old as time. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the world of Castle Falkenstein, you have weird steampunk tech. You have magic. Mm-hmm. You have the characters of every Victorian novel living alongside their authors. Hmm. Mm. So you have the Franken- Frank- Dr. Frankenstein and his monster roaming the land alongside Lord Byron and... And Mary Shelley fighting for independence in Greece. <laughs> that's that's some crazy stuff. You've got Sir Arthur Conan Doyle exploring the hollow earth and on when he's back in London listening to Dr. Watson regale him with the tales of what he and Holmes have done. Nice. Interesting. The mechanics so, so it's art fan fiction, the RPG. Um, I would say Victoriana, the original. It's the original steampunk game. Yeah. All of the game playing mechanics are resolved through playing cards rather than dice because Victorians thought dice were scandalous. Yeah, because it was and, associated with directly with mm-hmm. gambling. And because you can use playing cards and you're dealt a hand for the things you can do, it also transfers immediately to LARP. Mm-hmm. And for a long time, there actually used to be a Falkenstein ball at Gen Con every year. That's that interesting. does not surprise me. That's really cool. Neat. What's number five? Right. So that was number six, Castle Falkenstein. Number five, we, uh, we've, we've danced around this a little bit. We danced around it a little bit in the Patreon content, which you can pay just a little bit of money yep. to get access to. Uh, uh, Patreon.com slash polyhedron. Because you guys have talked a lot about where's the Dune role-playing game. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And you also mentioned a game that I love, Mouse Guard. Mm-hmm. But what about the game that originated Mouse Guard? What about the Burning Wheel? I've heard about the burning wheel. Yeah, I've, I've investigated I've, that. There have been several people I talked to on a Discord server that talked about like using burning wheel for like Black Crusade and all these other games that exist. What's the burning wheel? The burning wheel is an independent game written by Luke Crane, and you know this core sort of narrative mechanic that a lot of modern games do. Of I do a thing that's in line with my character or what my character would do that probably hurts him but I get a Benny that I can use later as a bonus. Yeah. That is what he calls the hub of the wheel. That is the core burning wheel. And he's, I don't, I don't know if he's the original guy who did that, but he's one of the people who refined it and innovated that. Now I will say, if you use all the systems in the game, it is crunchy as crazy hell. But in, in the author's own words, you don't have to use everything. You can just use the core mechanic. You just, here's the core mechanic. Here's the base skills. Mm-hmm. You know, do what you want. Yep. Uh, the magic works a lot like the way it does in the Wizard of Earthsea. He credits that as his major inspiration. Mm-hmm. Um, but the Burning Wheel is a fantasy game that, depending on how you scale it, you can do gritty or you can do sort of a medium fantasy game. But it's also very open to fan hacks. And he's always and the, the creator's Burning Wheel games have always been very open to fan hacks. And one of the fan hacks that uh, Luke Crane actually helped write uh, is called Jihad, the Burning Sands. Ooh. You can, if you if you go online, you can actually download that hundred page, full setting hack of Burning Wheel written by the original author for free. And that's essentially his take on Dune. It's his take on Dune. Awesome. That's I may have to hunt that down and start reading it. And just you, just if, to see how what his interpretation of that setting it, is. If like. you Google Burning Wheel Jihad, the Burning Sands, you will get it. Cool. It's like in the first three results. Right. Awesome. Um, so 
now you have a way to to go out and get yourself some dune role playing. Mm-hmm. I've always wanted to take time and look at the burning wheel system anyways because I've heard a lot of talk right. about it. If you've looked at Mouse Guard, you've seen the core. Okay, cool. Yeah, Mouse Guard was so fun. I think I yeah, I think I played just just a little bit of yeah. it, but it was a, it was a good time. Man, that baby fox. We, that baby fox fucked us up. It really did. I had sky hooks. Mm-hmm. It was good. All right. Number 4, you guys talk a lot about the rules that enforce the kind of game you're playing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But never once have you mentioned the gumshoe system. No, I have I've never, never heard, heard of, of it. I've never heard of that, yes. Gumshoe system is a system invented by Robin Laws, another luminary of the gaming mm-hmm. realm. And gum, what Robin Laws said, and this is if you buy his original book uh, that did gumshoe, was just called The Esso Terrorists. Hmm. <laughs> Cute. Yes. Uh, it's kind of X-Filesy. Um, the idea is that what is the driving force of D&D? The driving force of D&D is I kick in a door, I kill a monster. And the thing is, in D&D, if you lose, if you, if you lose against that monster, if you have to retreat, there's always another door with another monster. And maybe you didn't get that treasure. But there's top opportunities for more treasure. Mm-hmm. But in, D- in your traditional role-playing game, when you're trying to run a mystery, clues are treated like treasure. Mm-hmm. Right. Did you yeah. make that skill roll? Did you ask the GM the right question? Mm-hmm. And the... G- Gumshoe system says we should not treat clues as treasure because clues are the grist of mystery. You should hmm. get tons of clues automatically, and most of your character sheet should be about how you collect even more clues. But then it depends probably that. on how you spin the how you utilize the clues. How you utilize the clues, how you ask the GM to like help you connect the dots. Uh, how many clues did you manage to do it as a group? I think mystery, I think like just straight real mystery is one of, in, in my experience, just even trying to touch on it in any system. It's just hard. It's really hard if the mechanics aren't there to support you. Yeah. So what if there was a game system who said, what if the whole game is about solving mysteries? We should have the game actually be about that instead of simulating combat and because skills. Because one of the hardest things, in, even in the design of Subnet coming, was the idea of what I hate in most games is make a knowledge roll. I'm using just a D&D term. Make a knowledge roll, and the GM explains to you what's happening. And all the character does is regurgitate what the GM says. Right. It doesn't have any interaction. You have no... The player... The character has no input of that information. Right. So the as so Gumshoe has been used for a number of game settings. Mm-hmm. Uh, Trail of Cthulhu, very popular Cthulhu style hmm. game mystery game. Uh, recently at the Ennies this year, uh, a game called Bubble Gumshoe won an award. <laughs> to wacky teen hijink mystery solvers. Oh, that'd be cool. Yeah. Uh, but for my money, my personal favorite, I've gotten to run this in the past, is a game called Mutant City Blues. Ooh. It's a world of superheroes, and but it's a, you're it a sounds super, noirish. Though. You're a super. It is. You're a superhero cop, who's charged with policing the other heroes because only other superpowered people can really stop them. And here's the thing: in Mutant City Blues, there's a two-page spread, and on drive-through, if you download lo- load this, you can actually print it out as a poster. There is a you unlike a game like Mutants and Masterminds, which is a great game, and I, I recently wrapped mm. up a campaign of it. Uh, you can't just buy whatever powers you want. Powers exist within a tree of powers. Mm-hmm. Trying to go too far away from where you start in the tree costs a lot of points. 
So most people have a center point and then a cluster around that in terms of powers. Now this applies to you and also applies to your antagonists, but also that becomes the framework for how the universe works. So if you see that someone has a power of heat and fire blasting, well, you know they probably also have light projection. Maybe that's a clue. Maybe the way the scene of the crime tells you that. Also, certain superpowers like are related to certain mental illnesses. So mind readers are more likely to have megalomania. Huh. No, yeah, that makes Interesting. sense. Interesting. Yeah. That's cool. So, so that is number four. On to number three. Oh, we're getting to the top three, man. Top three. I'm going to start taking these really personal now. Well, you shouldn't take this one as personal because this one is for Ryan. I know. I knew there was going to be one. There had to be. I'm waiting for mine. I think I'm number one. I talk a lot of shit. Like, a lot of shit. So let's... What you got? We're going to get less personal for you, Matthew. I'm just a spoiler. Sorry. Uh, All right. Okay, what's up, man? Well, Ryan, you talk a lot about how you wish there was a role-playing game for the lies of Locke Lamora. Oh, What if I told you that there was a game that has been compared to the lies of Locke Lamora? A game... It's just cat allergies. Earlier this year, whose Kickstarter succeeded, and I don't know if you're familiar with the Jureg novels and Vlad Taltosh. I'm not. Okay. Uh, uh, imagine uh, Lies of Locke Lamora, but Locke can use magic? I mean, I mean yeah. spoilers, that's that's probably where this, the books are going. <laughs> okay, fair enough. But, but he did it first. But this guy, this, these this guys, guys just did it. Steve, yeah. Stephen Bruce's Jureg series, the Vlad Taltosh, he's more of an assassin. Hmm. Um, this is a game called Blades in the Dark. Blades in the Dark. Okay. Yes. And uh, one of the core innovations, there's a lot of really cool things in Blades in the Dark, like keeping track of how your group is mm-hmm. with the rest of the factions in the city. Mm-hmm. Uh, keeping track. Uh, your group actually has a character sheet. Dolores has told me about this game. Yeah. I just didn't know uh, it was as yeah. granular. Well, and here's another thing. Unlike other games where I don't know if you've ever played, say, a Shadowrun game or whatnot, where you sit around for three hours planning the heist and then you go out. You don't do that in Blades in the Dark. In Blades in the Dark, you just go on the heist. And when you reach a trouble point, you get to flash back. Yep. And That's then cool. you get to say and narrate what your plan was. You get to you Nolan that shit? <laughs> you get to Nolan that shit. And after you Nolan it, then you roll the dice to see if it works. So, for instance, you might be on top of a roof and you need to get away. And you can say... Oh, well, it's a good thing. Uh, so you might even play it out with the GM. Uh, we bribe some of the local orphans to climb onto the other rooftop next to this, and they'll throw us a rope. And then you set up your plan. Then you roll the dice to see if you manage to convince them. Hmm. Are those orphans there like you planned? Interesting. So you... <laughs> It allows you to use non-standard logic of instead of like athletics to jump over the ravine of the roof. I was just clever. I was no, I was convincing. I used my diplomacy That's right to do it. It, it it's kind of like Bill and Ted mechanics. Only it is a time little travel. bit. Except you won't always succeed. So what if you then fail your social plan and you're like, well, that was the plan. Now, now we've got to make up something else that didn't work. <laughs> Where's the rope? Here's your stupid rope. Uh, one nice thing about speaking of rope. Blades in the Dark explicitly assumes that you have whatever equipment you might need. Yeah. Because you planned, right? That's right. Right. Oh, man. You know, I've heard about it so, for so many years. I really need to probably just sit down and it's, just 
get get elbow deep in it's it. It's really fantastic. They just came out with their first official variant, which is called Glow in the Dark, which is post-apoc. Ooh, Ooh that sounds... I want to look at that. And, Ryan, on a previous episode, you mentioned that a game you would love to see is Cyberpunk Wuja. The, I did say that, yes. The, the original... Now, many people in the indie game scene are being paid to do variants, and that's Glow in the Dark is one of them. The original creator of Blades in the Dark is only writing one variant, and that is Cyberpunk in the South China Sea, Wuja with Blades in the Dark. With your with your crew. Yeah. Oh my god. That sounds badass. Oh. I think you need to I need to think you need to start doing some research I'm today, just, buddy. I'm just happy. That's all. Shut it's up. Not you, no, I'm not crying, you're crying. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Number two. You know, you guys here are really great in terms of turning a spotlight on games out there, independent games, games of different kind of representation. Uh, and occasionally you mention the big gorilla in the room, D&D, which I do love personally. Mm-hmm. But there's this sort of blind spot. It's the one thing you guys have never mentioned. And you're not even dancing around it. You just don't talk about it. Okay. And that is the world of D&D variants. Oh, yeah. OS, the D- OSR, the old school revival. Mm-hmm. Everybody's home version of D&D. Yep, the old ways. Games like Castles and Crusades, Dungeon Crawl Classics. X-Crawl. And, uh, X-Crawl was a D20 modern okay. setting, uh, 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 so it's not OSR. Okay. But but it is a D20 variant. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It is a D20 variant. Hackmaster. Hackmaster, uh, and I'm gonna plug my one of the one that my, I go through these. I love D and love all kinds of games, but I love D and D, so I go through these games a bunch. Um, but one of my personal favorites that I'm playing around with a lot right now, and I'm hoping to eventually start a campaign, is called Index Card RPG. Hmm. Uh, it is the most stripped down version of D and D I've ever seen. The actual rules, rules including all the spells, is about ten pages. Hmm. The rest of the book is advice on doing a campaign and monsters. And when they say index cards, they mean it. A lot of the resources they sell, literally you print them out and they're the size of a three by five index card. Just visual research. Like here is the gate. Here is a band of goblins. And instead of miniatures or whatever, it's like, oh, uh, I'm fighting the goblins. So put your miniature on the band of goblins. Well, I'm crossing the rope bridge. Okay, we'll put your miniature on the rope bridge. That just kind of gives us a general sense of hmm. where people are at in a visual reference point. Right. That sounds cool. Yeah. Neat. All right. And now, the number one thing. Number one. Number one that Polyhedron has never mentioned, despite talking about narrative games, despite talking about innovative game design, you guys have never mentioned Apocalypse World. I've heard of about Apocalypse World. Apocalypse World is one of the biggest things in the indie game scene right now. It is Monster Hearts is based off of the Apocalypse yeah. engine. Hmm. Uh, it originally came out as Apocalypse World. It is a, a game all about narrative, all about consequences for actions. Uh, it is uh, Apocalypse World came out immediately with a variant called Dungeon World. Yes. Uh, and they also have another one. The reason why I'm, I'm getting kind of excited in my seat and no one can see me while I do it, except for he, you three he's, people. He's spasming. Uh, mm-hmm. Kind of. Is because I listened to Critical Hit and they just started a new game. And it's called Urban Shadows. It's called, it's an empowered by the apocalypse. Sis, uh, that same system. Right. Um, called Powered by the Apocalypse. Yes. They're, they, they just started, so they've started explaining the system. 
and I'm getting extremely intrigued by the system. Is Urban mm, Shadows all... their uh, Urban Fantasy variant? Yeah, it's the Urban... Urban Fantasy, so uh, if you wanted to... <clears throat> Urban Shadows is basically World of Darkness with the Apocalypse World Engine. Yeah, yeah. and you just filed the... Oh, never mind then. Right the hell That's off. different, actually. Um, <laughs> it's a little but, different. But what's interesting, it's all... Besides just your very base character sheet, like your stats, it's all about debt management. You, Everyone has a playbook, and the idea is if you have this playbook... You have various amounts of debt that I'll owe to NPCs and other PCs, and that PCs and NPCs will owe me. Mm. And it's all about moving that, uh, moving the debt around to leverage whatever the situation is. Now that's specific to to Ur- that variant. Yeah, to for instance, Urban I've played Monster Hearts, and uh, the big thing, the thing you move around in that game is called strings, as in your heart strings. Mm-hmm. So. Maybe because we're because we're sexy teenage vampires and whatnot. Maybe I flirt with you, or I have just an emotional moment, and we get strings on each other. We can pull on the heartstrings of the other person. You can even pull on them when you're not in the scene with them, because oh, the idea is okay, that they yeah, think that they think of thinking you. Thinking about I can't disappoint the my I, I werewolf will, friend. Will, you get to dictate that someone in a moment of conversation. You can pull on them. You can't necessarily dictate them, but they've got to fight it if they don't want well, to do right. it. Right, but I think I, I actually like that because that is a way to handle the you're not there, man, situation. Right. And that actually lets you be in a scene while not being in a scene, which I absolutely, I think that's that's good for... You get to be the presence right. in the room without actually dictating, yeah. yep. talking or interacting in the room. That's cool. Ap- Apocalypse World is uh, post-apoc, of course. Mm-hmm. It's actually a big influence on my game after the end. Mm-hmm. Uh, in in addition, there's things like Masks, which won the any on any yeah, of this Abby's year. Abby's been playing that one. Yeah, it's a, a teenage superheroes oh, cool. uh, game. You've also got, uh, we, you mentioned uh, Urban Shadows, Urban Shadows uh, which great, I'm, I find game. very interesting because They're, they handle a lot of variations of the playbooks are very cool. So if you want to play Revenant, you can play Revenant. You can play Vampire, you can play very different types of vampires, different types of werewolves. Mm-hmm. All, whatever you want, it's it can be represented. Character creation that. is very quick because like you said, there's playbooks. You basically have a sheet. You like have a menu of choices. Choose one from this column, two from this column. Bam, 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 and you're done. Define your debts and cool. you can pretty much yep. rock and roll. And including usually, uh, I know in Monster Hearts, the way you do that is you go around the table and like there's various things like uh, when I did it, part of my playbook was two different people had strings on me. Hmm. Uh, the werewolf, because the werewolf is impulsive, uh, everybody had a string on her. Uh, so uh, there's also good ones. There's the sprawl, which is a cyberpunk powered by apocalypse. There's the veil, which is cyberpunk, but literally everyone is a net runner. Everyone's a super hacker who hmm. lives in the okay. internet. Uh, and in the veil, that's called the veil. Uh, and in that one, the idea is that culture has been heavily influenced by Japanese corporate culture. So that modernized <laughs> sense of honor and who has how much face and, and uh, much so honor. So Snow dance. Crash the RPG? Yes. <laughs> oh my. <laughs> man, he keeps saying things. I'm like, man, I just we, we need someone to run this for patron content, mostly because I just want to play games. You know, yeah, you, know, I, you know, I would love to return sometime and run some one-shots for you guys or even some, some that, short that is and... That is the tentative plan. Since we're, since we're uh, Thank you very much for that list. We will keep absolutely in mind and I'll make sure to put a link for each one of those in the show notes 
because you can get them all through our drive through RPG. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's hitting on the sort of patron content and extra content. We are working slowly towards a Shadowrun Anarchy game that we're going to run for a good chunk of time. Mm-hmm. Uh, our good friend uh, James Davey has a really kick-ass idea for a game that he wants to run for oh, us. It's so fun. I, actually, I, I was a little hesitant at the very beginning, but then I started thinking about I, it. I'm like, I had 0% hesitation. I'm just like, this is going to be the tits. Yeah, uh, I started... Like I started leaning into the into the skid, as it were, and I'm like, okay, we're doing this. Well, I don't know what this concept is, but I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, you you absolutely will. It, it's novel. I, it's not your average Shadowrun game. Nope. Yeah, I don't. I mean, I there's like two words I could say that would hint at it. Let's let's keep but, that keep uh, that. We'll keep we'll it. I, I, will, I will say on the short list of games that I've gotten to play for multi year comp- campaign arcs, uh, Shadowrun is one of them. And we got to play through Harlequin and Harlequin's back. Oh, no. That's the big meta one. Yeah, that's the big meta, like, like you, the, the, the actual Shadowrun meta plot. You you right. realize that you're actually in Earthdawn. Yeah. That's actually where you are because that's, like, the fourth world or third or fourth world. Uh, Shadowrun uh, is the sixth. And Earthdawn Earth is. Dawn, I want to say, is the fourth world because the idea is that you're just emerging after a... Yeah. long time of high magic arc and now magic is finally on the downswing which is pushing the horrors are still around sorry i'm spoiling the Shadowrun and it's a pretty old meta plot it's a super old meta the horrors which are cthuloid entities from beyond space uh are finally uh, can only come to earth when earth is at its highest magic arc mm-hmm mm-hmm um, and so in Earth Dawn, the idea is that magic hit a very high level of sophistication, mm-hmm. and then the floodgates burst and the horrors came. So humanity and like the twenty fantasy races uh, hmm. dug fantasy bunkers, basically, and with signs to tell them when magic had finally gotten low enough that they could come out again. And so it's actually in some sort of slightly post-apocalyptic. Oh, it's very fantasy post-apoc. That's very, um, yeah. That's so awesome. You are, the general setup is part of why, and the, this is one of those things where they've incorporated a lot of D&D and role-playing tropes into the setting. Mm-hmm. So the idea is you're emerging from your bunker that your society has lived in for literally hundreds of years. And you need to explore the wilderness and the other ruined bunkers, a.k.a. dungeons, Huh. To figure out what's up with the world and where are people, so, where where is everyone? I, that was probably one of the games that I've always heard about and never played and thought it was extremely fascinating because I've never gotten into that much detail what Earthdawn is. What what first treated me about Earthdawn is oh, I was playing D&D. Third Ed had just come out. We, we were talking with people about stuff. And they were saying, well, there's a fantasy game out there that literally your magic item levels up with you. And Earthdawn lets you do that. You yes. can sink XP and stuff into your weapon and that, you know, that your father's 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 sword mm-hmm. that you've carried around forever. Well, it can actually grow and become more powerful with you. So you never actually need to go find another magic item. Yeah, I could so really get in. I could. I've played a lot of Earth Dawn. I could really get in the weeds on this <laughs> uh, in terms of like strings of the like weaving the strings into your magic item yeah, or it, your it, skills. It's yeah. very cool. I'm just so happy we brought that up, but yeah, uh, the, the but anyway, yeah, we're gonna be playing Shadowrun. Shadowrun. We are gonna be playing Shadowrun Anarchy, and it's gonna be awesome. Uh, it's, it's gonna be a game. little while. It's not gonna be like immediate. It's not gonna be the next episode or so. But uh, expect more development in the month, next month or two. Yes, the the turkey times and the red suit <laughs> fat man times have have come upon, <laughs> come us, upon and us, and it and it makes it makes it very difficult to get 
multiple well, grown adults in a room to because they all have to talk to their families. Well, yes. speaking of families, at the time that you hear this podcast, unfortunately, the drive through RPG uh, Black Friday and Cyber Monday sale will have already passed. Mm-hmm. But coming up will be our December sale, which normally is earlier in December, but is a little. We've pushed it back a little bit to get ready for Christmas, and it's teach your kids how to game. Oh, fantastic. Oh, cool. In which games oriented at kids and families will be on sale. Well, so, Third Eye Game will be oh, raking yeah, Third it Eye in. Third Eye Games then. is going to be doing yeah. great then. Yeah, yeah Third Eye Games, uh, they have some really, you know, the Pip system and the Mermaid Adventures and all that. Really yep. fantastic. But also, you know, Little Wizards from uh, and uh, Hero Kids. And there's a lot of really fantastic kid oriented. <laughs> if it weren't completely obvious, like, other than, I mean, Chris has. I have has, a child. It, he has a child. The rest of us, no, no. Well, no, I, I, but I respect anyone trying to design for kids. Oh, yeah, no. Fantastic. No, we, I'm we not need, saying we just, that's we, not something we generally. We need to spread the virus. I mean, my, my son at this point has run 5th edition D&D. Nice. It's a great system. Anyone it's a good can do it. It's a really good system. <laughs> well, anyways, thank you very much, Chris, for coming on and educating the shit out of us. <laughs> yeah, this has like literally been the most educational episode of Polyhedron. I which think. which mean, means that likely in the future I'll have you back at some point to sort of give us an update and sort of go get into the weeds about something else. Well, yeah, I mean, there's a like because I've I've been an avid collector and player of games my whole life. I've wound up being a super fan of multiple different. Which is things. cool because I, I think everyone here, we, me, Scott, Ryan, we all have our favorites, but we're not like a diehard super fan. We've got a couple that we really, really like, but we don't. We're not um, a connoisseur. Would actually be a better, better, I think, better term. I mean, I mean, you have played. You have probably spent more time like playing tabletop gaming that I don't know. Like instead uh, of yeah, because what would why, even be a good comparator for I me? Don't I don't know. know. We were well. Why you were playing role playing games? Why we were still playing video games? Still. Like right. that's how we divided up our time. Right. We split our time between other things. You you focused a lot My more. My twenty five hundred hours of World of Warcraft didn't. I, <laughs> I, I de- I've actually uh, yeah I'm I'm actually weird in this. I've never had a World of Warcraft account. You're good. You're good. Fine. I, good. I had one for about a month, and then I just I, I wanted to scream. I tried playing D and D online. I just uh, I just it, couldn't. I had trouble. They always I'm D&D not good at it. Always has a good. problem with their online material. I mean, I think it's fairly good. We have some friends who play it, and they enjoy it. I've just um, I'm not good. I, I like when I play video games. They tend to be very turn based, like JRPG kind mm-hmm. of stuff. Yeah. Like only, uh, reacting in the moment, I'm not good at it. The only uh, <laughs> the only MMO that earned my money was The Matrix Online. Yes, and it was good. And then Sony ruined it. Fuck you, Sony. But anyways, Chris, if people want to catch you online or want to get in contact with you, what's the best way? Or if you- I'm on Twitter. Okay, cool. At uh, Chris Tang Writer. Cool. That's all one word. All one word. Okay. I am at Divis Melkav. At Arduous, R-J-U-O-U-S. I am at BioImportance. Also, of course, as I said earlier, you can follow the show on at PolyhedronCast. Uh, if you want to give us feedback, you want to say good things about Chris, uh, either send us feedback directly at polyhedronpodcast at gmail.com. You can or- send us a listicle. You, yes. You what is your listicle? You, no, I don't want any pictures. You could also send them bad things about me. That's also cool. <laughs> we, won't, uh, we won't read those. 
on the air. We won't do that. Uh, also, uh, you can go to Twitter, give us feedback. Um, you can uh, just tell us if we're doing great or not. Uh, if you, wherever you're listening to this, go ahead and give us a five-star review. It helps the visibility. It really expands our audience base. We really need that. Um, there are some revisions coming up on the website and a few others, so expect a big push on that in a month or two, hopefully by the new year. Yeah, and the one after this, guys, episode 50. Yeah, man. I'm working on it. I'm really working on it. I'm trying trying. to hit for big things. But anyways, also, uh, the very last thing, if you really like the show, you really want to help us out, just like so many other people have already done, go to patreon.com slash polyhedron, throw in a couple bucks. You get the uh, your own personal RSS feed uh, for all the, not only the normal episodes, but all of the patron-only content for literally a buck a month. You can't beat that. You really, really can't beat that. It's literally 25, uh, 25 cents uh, a piece of content. Every dime you give us goes right back into equipment and show stuff. Yep, yeah, it really absolutely. does. It honestly does. I'm just piling the money until I have I'm enough not, to buy the next piece I need. I've tried to get Matt to buy me candy. He just won't. You can buy your own goddamn candy. You're but a grown-ass man. I'll, I'll bring you candy next time, right? But I earned this candy. But he'll bring you candy. Ooh. All right. Well, we have to have him back now. <laughs> <laughs> well... For everyone here at Polyhedron, go where your fun is. Go roll some dice.